0: So um I uh, have been uh, talking with Nick Groff for a long time about doing talk as Jericho and I thought that we had done it before <laughs> me too turns out <laughs> that we haven't but we've been talking since two thousand and sixteen about doing this man
1: yeah no, it's it's crazy the journey's been wild but you know here we are I'm excited to finally like rekindle our our connection here but it's <laughs> you're busy I'm busy things have been great. I have five kids a little baby running around crazy and it's just no sleep, you know, no sleep for the wicked.
0: With five kids, your real life is even more terrifying than your <laughs> know, career is, right?
1: <laughs> that's what I would just say. And so you love the kids. You never, not change it for the world, but sometimes like, man, how, are they, they're too witty for their own good. They're, they shouldn't be talking like this. But society is crazy these days. You know, the YouTubes and whatever you got going on. I was just talking about like, we have to tell them to get off their iPads and they freak out about that. I didn't have that when I grew up. I grew up in 1980, you know? Right my mom would say, go on the woods. She kicked me out of the house the whole day. Sometimes they thought I ran away because I'd be in the woods until dusk and they didn't know where I was.
0: As long as you're home by the time that for us, the rule was as long when the street lights come on, that's when you have to be home. Yeah,
1: exactly. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have uh, electronics. I just rode my bike, built jumps, got hurt a bunch of times. I think I knocked myself out in the woods once when I was uh, swinging from a branch. I felt like 15 feet. I got up, I, I had to go get three stitches in my head. i crawl all the woods to my yeah. house, stuff like that, you know?
0: That was all part of the adventure of yeah. growing up, but you have many adventures now as an adult as well, because uh, you started out on Ghost Adventures with, with, with Zach, who's been on the show before, Zach Bagans. Uh, the Paranormal Lockdown was another show that you did for quite a long time, and now we're talking about your, your new show, Death Walker. Uh, how do you keep coming up with ideas to do these these different shows? Because much like my a uh, good friend of mine who's also in the Paranormal Game, Dave Schrader, yeah. there's always new shows that he's working on and doing, and, and it just seems like there's a, a, a never-ending supply of these ghostly uh, uh, ideas for, for shows.
1: You know, it all starts when I was a little kid. Honestly, just the adventurous side of of me looking for really how I got my start was UFOs, extraterrestrials, space, time, I was highly invested into like trying to figure out what else is beyond just the stars that I'm looking up at. And is there anything else here? Yeah, I actually got introduced to Area 51 by my sister's godparents who grew up in Nevada. And uh, I remember when I was about 13 years old, taking a trip out there, they were telling me about how their dad uh, helped build the bunkers and the hangars at Area 51 right before he died. He was speaking about it and they introduced me to Art Bell who then you know I started listening to when I went home back to New Hampshire on oh, my little boombox, you know, Art Bell, and talking about that. And I was that weird kid at 13, unfolding a map. Remember maps? I would unfold a map and be like, I'm going to Area 51. My dad's like, You're crazy. It's not on the map. <laughs> and it's so you know. funny, though, before
0: we continue, I was a huge Art Bell fan. I even did an episode of Talk as Jericho with Dave when Art passed away. Because in the 90s, when I was really doing a lot of driving, and traveling in between towns for, for wrestling, Art Bell was everywhere. And as soon as you like, let's say you're driving, I don't know, in Cleveland, as soon as you leave the city limits and it starts getting staticky, you could tune the dial and find like, oh, now he's out of Dayton or now he's in Toledo. Like anywhere you went, Art was on super influential at the time, especially if you
1: were paranormally uh, inclined as you and I are. Yeah, it's a strange journey. I always say that we all have our separate kind of individual journeys. We all have our own collective thoughts that we go through life. And it's really about conversations just into the unknown for me personally. And that's kind of how I grew up, just interested in that kind of phenomena of extraterrestrials. And honestly, just what else is out there beyond just Earth and us in and- what other dimensions and realities and so on. And I'm very fascinated in the consciousness, like in the information that we collect in this brain that we don't know, fully understand everything about. Right. What happens with that consciousness, the energy that we produce, like kinetic energy, when we move and the electricity and so on in our bodies, the body dies. I mean, that's a fact. But what happens after that is the biggest mystery of all. And I don't think anyone has the right answers. You know, a conclusion I have in my personal life right now, I think there's multiple things that happen. To back up, at a young age, at eight years old, I fell from a tree and I ripped open my arm right here. Uh, I have a massive scar across my arm. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. I hit a cyclone fence and it shredded my arm to the bone. Almost died, and my mom rescued uh, me. And there was only like two other people around. Near death experience. My artery was really close, bleeding out and stuff. And her quick thinking and they repaired my arm but it's weird cuz I looked back on I told my mom like later in life like I saw all these faces hovering around me when I was laying on the ground when I was like conscious and not conscious I would black out cuz your body would just give up I remember opening my eyes and I swear I saw like multiple faces around me just hovering down she's like no there was only two of us and I was running the payphone and calling the ambulance and doing that back then you know this is uh 1989 Yeah yeah right right 88 actually 1988 So I don't know if that Drove me on the quest. My grandmother in New Hampshire would talk to me about ghosts and they would introduce me like crazy horror films, like Trilogy of Terror with that little doll and stuff. Or <laughs> that crazy. Wow, that's obscure. Stuff like, yeah, it scared the crap out of me because they didn't want me to leave the bed. I was a hyper kid. They wanted me to leave like my bed, staying at my grandparents' house. So they would say, you know, if you hear the little bell from this creepy doll we have in the house, <laughs> you know, it's just that, you know, stuff like that. It just intrigued me. And I want to learn more about ghosts, but specifically about um, UFOs and then later cryptid. So I just encompassed kind of all of it, weirdly enough. And then through life, I would just go to like weird, no offbeaten path, haunted locations that me and my buddies heard of, and then like kind of creep up there and everyone would freak out. And those dudes would run. I would stay there and just want to see more. (laughs) So Uh I just learned at an early age, man, this kind of intrigues me. And didn't make anything of it. It just was what it was. I didn't think really past that. Just would think late at night, you know, what else is out there. And not until when I went to college in UNLV, I went to Nevada and I graduated uh, university in Nevada, Las Vegas. And I was filming a bunch of stuff, you know, with uh, everything I was doing. And I just want to see if ghosts existed, honestly, mm. because I went to haunted mining towns during a spring break that I had. So I kind of discovered Virginia City, Nevada and Tonopah and Goldfield. And I I really wanted to go to the little town of Rachel, try to get as close as I can to Area 51 with the signs and stuff. So I did that. Just wanted to see everything, you know, and that's kind of my intrigue. But it wasn't until 2004, October. I remember like it was yesterday. I was in my little apartment. A broke college kid, you know, just trying to get gig to gig, you know, shooting wedding videos and doing this and that. I saw this show called Sightings and I saw this guy being scratched on camera by this news team filming them. And that really intrigued me. I was like, if this is happening, they're not cutting it. I see the camera staying on them. I'm seeing these scratches show up. I want to see if this can actually happen to somebody. You know, I like, I want to see if this is real. So that's kind of when I called the other guys who I met, long story short, I knew them for a while. I met them later and basically said, you guys want to go look for ghosts? And that's how it all kind of triggered everything. Not thinking it was going to be anything, honestly, just I had a camera, a bunch of like little equipment and stuff like that and just hit the road. It turned into that and that turned into a phenomenon, which turned into I create Ghost Adventures. And then that turned into what it was. But later in life, uh, from that, I, I went to paranormal lockdown. I want to keep evolving. I think myself, to answer your question, I just want to evolve. My experiences evolve the way I was thinking. I, I grew from that. You know, when you're young, you're mature. You're trying to figure stuff out. And To be honest, like I didn't know half the stuff I, that was happening and what I was experiencing or what stuff was. So I had to gain knowledge. And in paranormal lockdown, I feel like that was like my second baby because I want to sleep at the location, live there, stay there for three days straight consecutively to put myself into the environments to really experience, okay, if this place is haunted, let me just really see. I'll sleep in the worst spots. Tell me where it's the most haunted spots I want to experience and document it because I truly want to go a little bit further. And that's kind of what that turned into. Right. And then now I evolved even more. And I think it's just how you perceive things as a, as, as an individual. For me personally, I can't speak for the other shows, A lot of other shows are based on productions and casting and so on and networks needs and stuff like that. I've done everything from the ground up, nuts and bolts where I've created it. I filmed it. I edited it. I went through the evidence. I collectively work with uh, engineers, electrical engineers, stuff like that, and people of like minds because I just want to I feel like I'm more passionately driven on projects that I am more so um, just trying to make another paranormal show, I guess you could say, in a sense. And I I really want to see what else we can break through and kind of revolutionize the way we think and just create conversations. And that's how Death Walker happened because I want to just solo into these locations with my cousin who films me and really raw and gritty cut it all the way back down and strip it back to a, a real paranormal investigation and just really see if I put myself alone in these locations and then go through some theories or some ideas or try to push it a little bit more. What else are we going to capture recently? a location called the Western Block in Lockport, New York here, Uh, very historical location, a lot of deaths, hundreds of deaths. We document on this low light capability of this entity arm and hand that reached in, which is so clear. It's probably one of the best pieces of evidence I've ever documented, to be honest with you, because you can see the detail on the hand. It has three fingers, which is really creepy to me. And you can see the heat signature on the elbow and the hand and the fingers. And I had it analyzed by a video professional from Buffalo, uh, New York here at the university. And I gave him the raw footage. I gave him both cameras. I said, please analyze this. You know, th- honestly, tell me what you believe this is. And he couldn't roll out. It's in the episode on Deathwalker. Yeah. And then I started thinking like, We always jump so quickly to conclusions because we think we have to put stuff narratively in a box like this is a ghost and it has to be Joe here from, you know, 1800s of this place. And it's sometimes it's not even that I think there's multiple things happening is what I'm realizing from just documenting something like this. It could be an interdimensional being. So then I talked to a UFOlogist about inter- interdimensional beings and how much documentation of UFOs have been encountering here in Western New York. It's huge. I didn't realize the thousands of UFO documentations happening right here near Niagara Falls and stuff like that, all in Western New York. He has a whole map of, he's been doing it for 30 plus years. Hmm. It's crazy. So I'm thinking, okay, is this something observing a location with tragic events or is it, really a spirit or a fragment of energy or some sort of breakthrough into our reality that somebody died in the fire, or is it a a worker who worked here that had all of his fingers chopped off and you're only seeing the three fingers now? I don't know, honestly. And I think that's what we have to open. We can't conclude so heavily. And that's kind of why I keep evolving and trying to push myself to think outside the box or, you know, just trying to push a little bit harder than just the, the norm in the paranormal investigation side of stuff.
0: Let's go back to some of the things you said because you covered a lot of ground with uh, with your state with your opening statement. Um, so I-, I saw that uh, footage is in the trailer of the hand and the fingers and all that sort of stuff. So kind of tell us a little bit more. So where you mentioned you were in Lockport, New York, and you said there was many deaths there. Why? What happened in Lockport, New York, at that location?
1: Yeah, so uh, that specific area was where the canal was built through Lockport. So anybody knows the history, there's tons of it there. There's been um, a couple hundred deaths, there's fires that took place there, people died in fires, Uh, workers who died in accidents, they made uh, the cowbell there. So they made that type of stuff there. Mm. There's tremendous amount of history there. The mafia in the back part of that weird house, they used to run. There's like a tunnel back there. So uh, bootlegging was huge. Prohibition was big there. Mafia was a big part of New, uh, New York in Lockport, yeah. which was positioned with Buffalo and then Manhattan, you know, all the kind of points and stuff like that, plus Niagara. So there's a lot of ties to the criminal organization in that area and stuff like that that we probably will never know about deaths and whatnot. Right. So it just has tremendous amount of history. And I think when you have a location with a lot of energy, everything starts with history and stories from witnesses. And I think sometimes you just have to look at the facts and you have to look at the documentations. So I think a lot of tragic events hold on to that energy and get released. So And then I have this whole thing about the notion of time, you know, the time for us human beings doesn't necessarily exist. We create time, you know, because we wake up, we go to work, we do whatever we're doing during the day, and we're we're creating this time relevance of what we're doing. But realistically, there is no time. The only reason we do that is because we get older and we die. (laughs) So it's like the moment we're born, Mm -hmm. every second we're speaking right now, we're passing away. It's creepy to think about. So What happens at locations like this one, the Western block in Lockport, New York, if I'm there and I'm talking right now in my reality, in my time, right? But there's somebody else there in like 1898 or something working and going through whatever he's going through. And that kind of slips through to times and the times cross each other. I mean, is that what we're dealing with as far as spiritual energy, like connection? Like maybe he thinks I'm a ghost or an alien and I think I, he's a ghost alien or whatever we want to claim it to be. And is that kind of what we're communicating? And I've had like some weird experiences like that. I don't know. Um, all I know is I captured something weird and it can't be debunked. And I've tried uh, to rule out everything from environmental elements to um, any equipment failures to third party analysis, trying to rule out, you know, anything. It's it's pretty wild. So
0: were you just randomly shooting or is this an entity that you've been speaking with or were you just kind of run the cameras for a couple hours and we'll see what happens. And when you watched it back, you saw
1: it. Yeah. So we didn't know it happened in the moment that we documented that uh, entity hand and arm. We actually heard a noise like something fell from the ceiling or got thrown. I'm not too sure what happened, but it was a loud noise and it scared my cousin and I. Right. And he whipped the camera around. Now, the cool thing is we had two cameras. One was on a tripod and then he was holding the other camera on what you call a Ronin, just a handhold thing. So when he whips it around to look at the noise, the camera on the tripod captures this entity arm and hand that reaches out from behind me. But both cameras were on me at the same time that entity handed arm were captured. The weird part is the one camera didn't capture it. The other camera captured it. And that's what I can't figure out. Even the professional video analysis guy, uh, the professor, he took both and he overlaid the two to try to figure out, you know, what was going on. He really wanted to actually see if I faked it or anything like that, to be honest with you. And he's like, you had some, the first thing you said to me is you have some balls sending me both raw footage of these clips because I thought you did something. And then he's like, but there's nothing that happened. I can't figure it out. He's like, I've been doing animation, graphics, 3D animations, effects for years, and it's real. So that was the coolest part, Um, you know, because it's hard if people aren't there and then you watch it at home to try to figure out, Okay, I wasn't there. It's crazy with the Internet and stuff today, but it's legit one of the coolest things I've ever captured and I'm still compelled by it. Sure. And we have a team that we're going back for. uh, We're shooting season four right now for Deathwalker. We're going back with uh, some other high tech equipment and we're going to try to specifically go to that spot with new gear, new stuff, and try to hone in and document more of that. So I'm
0: excited. Is it, does, is it frustrating or kind of like just par for the course when you find this great you know, piece of footage? And in this day and age, it's like, ah, oh, they just CGI'd it. It's not even true. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it reminds me of like, you know, in wrestling when they used to have like this guy, Mark Henry, he's the, smart, he's the strongest man in the world, legit. Yeah. And he would bend a frying pan, like for real. But everyone would think, oh, it's just – it's a rubber frying pan. It's like, no, he's actually bent. You, like you might as well use a rubber frying pan at this point. <laughs> yeah. So how is it – how do you kind of deflect that when people – A, you know you know how ghost hunting is. Either you believe it or you don't. And when they right. don't believe and you say, here's some evidence. Go, like, Oh, you just get CGI'd that or whatever.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I – Honestly, it doesn't bother me. Uh, it really doesn't because I know what I'm doing. I, I was there. I have the footage. I showed it to people, like tons of people. Right. Uh, I even showed it at a premiere of the raw footage uh, at the Riviera Theater. The Riviera Theater here, we did a premiere and we were showing it and stuff like that. So, it, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, people are going to make up their um, assumptions. Uh, a lot of people like to jump on the bandwagon to accuse immediately, just accuse and ridicule and jump on. It. But that's social media. You know what I mean? That's one of those things. But if if you actually came and we sat down, we're cool about it, and we're talking about it, and you're looking at it, I think it's totally different perspective. I just think people, it's hard. You know, Hollywood and so on has kind of tarnished. And I think there's an uproar in the paranormal community in general with a lot of stuff that has gone on and i think people just it's tough to cypher through what is and what isn't these days you know right i can tell you my stuff is legit and that's that so i mean i guess you either take it from my word or you don't and that's your opinion but i'm not here to change anyone's opinion you know sure it's like you were saying being in wrestling you know you're jumping off the ropes and they're like oh they just staged that stuff it's yeah. not it a- Dude, I watched wrestling growing up. I freaking loved it. I was I was that kid jumping off my staircase onto my couches. <laughs> my mom's like, stop. <laughs> You're going to kill yourself. And you, when you jump like that, and I would take my skateboard and skateboard off the top of my shed, and my grandmother would freak out because I'd be like hitting the ground 15 feet off and rolling. It hurts. It takes skills. But it's not fake, man. Like, you guys are doing that. You guys are hitting hard it's also you're presenting a narrative too of whatever's happening. So I think it's it's one of those things you're telling a story in the paranormal, like when you're episodically putting a series together, you're telling the story of the history, the location. And that's what I'm trying to do with Deathwalker is I upfront it with all the history, all the facts, all truth. And then basically, boom, it just rolls right into the investigation. You know, it's very raw. I mean, there's two cameras. Sometimes we'll just put cameras up other everywhere else. But I mean, it's my cousin filming me, me, and sometimes just me, it's me dragging my camera. And then I'll bring in my wife, uh, Tessa, will come with me on locations. It's just a really cool experience. And when we get something like that, that we document that's legit, I mean, it's compelling because I think that still fires me after all these years doing 20 plus years of this that's really what is like exciting to me. We'll go home. We'll keep talking about it. I'm still talking about it to this day. You know, we're like, well, what, what happens if it was this? You know, we're like, right. you, you keep the conversation going. It's not like, uh, oh yeah, remember that. That was a cool episode. It's real shit that we're talking about still that makes it fascinating. We're all human and we're all here for some reason. And what is next is, you know, the ultimate kind of quest, I guess, for all of us. So let me ask what your, um, the theme
0: of of Death Walkers, like what's the hook for it that you originally thought of the idea that makes it different from ghost
1: adventures or for, you know, the paranormal lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the first five episodes started as like kind of a pilot to get out there. And I was taking two locations with a based on theory, like space and time. And I would compare two locations to figure out if that kind of conjoined to a narrative in a sense of does space and time have any play in uh, these phenomenas that are occurring. Right. So that's just like one subject. But then I moved past that. So every season has an overarching narrative. Uh, season two, it was kind of a quest to see if anything can physically actually harm me or, or scratch me or not even harm me, just like put an imprint on my body where I can see it, but like not cutting, like just filming raw and seeing if anything can show up physically on my body from something from beyond. So anybody can like say, oh, it's a, it's bad. It's good. It's whatever you want to go down the rabbit hole with. Mm. And that's what I was trying to do is because I really wanted to see if something can leave a mark in my body and and how and why. And then the uh, last season was uh, season three. We went into this overarching thing on 20 apps where can something from beyond like energy or whatnot overtake your mind, body, and your psyche? Can something uh, persuade you from not being you, I guess, energetically? So it's kind of like this big overarching steps I want to take to see and kind of conquer in different um, ideas within the paranormal phenomena or supernatural and kind of put it to the test with what I do uh, after all these years. So Deathwalker is more in the sense of a man who walks amongst the dead. (laughs) It's basically basically that. So um, it's just raw, gritty, real and real investigation. That's kind of what we've been doing. And I'm excited for season four because now we're using we're working on real ITC communication. ITC is instrumental transcommunication. It gets away from a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of pseudoscience within paranormal, right? Like a lot of gadgets and stuff like that, that are like blinky lights, like EMF detectors or this and that, that people use for paranormal investigations. So we're looking at like big experiments, uh, scientifically kind of taking a step back. We're looking at mediumship, spiritualism and stuff like that, and trying to use these experiments in new ITC and stuff like that, to kind of put it to the test. So to validate. What does ITC stand for? Instrumental Transcommunication. Gotcha.
0: Now is, is that sort of technology getting more, uh,
1: more advanced as well? It's getting interesting for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's advancing, but I mean, you got to think like Nikola Tesla was doing stuff like this Mm. uh, back when Nikola Tesla was around. And the cool thing is living in Niagara Falls, uh, New York, uh, we have a lot of historical locations. Nikola Tesla, he has one of his, um, he created the dam over here, Niagara Falls, and he used that for power. We were able to gain access. We were the first ones ever to get into his building, the Nikola Tesla Adams Power Plant building, which was one of his um, main places. It's the only building standing. They they tore the other ones down, which is historically kind of sad. Oh wow. But it has a humongous amount of tunnel systems that not a lot of people know about. And there was like something like 26, 27 workers who died. They were all Italian immigrants who made everything by uh, stone brick. So, when you walk into the tunnels, we went down a ladder in uh, this location for Deathwalker. And I brought in some engineers who have been working on ITC and on different experiments. And I brought in a massive Tesla coil. And I was wearing a Fair Date suit. So I was, <laughs> I, I thought, you know, let's push the boundaries here. It hurts like hell when you get zapped, by the way. <laughs> I, Uh, My shoes were, my boots were lighting up and I had a Faraday suit on. I was, the Tesla Coral was running through my body and I was hoping to see if something can manifest through the electricity or through the, um, the high amounts of everything that was occurring in that atmosphere. And we were going through the tunnels and we were making contact. But I think with technology, it is definitely evolving with people that are more fascinated with it. Like. There's a lot of people getting more involved in it. But I think it's been around for a long time. It's just more people are noticing. And I think more people who are extremely smart, like a lot smarter than I am IQ wise with our electrical engineer and stuff like that are creating these massive experiments to put them to the test, which is really kind of cool. So I'll I'll try anything to a certain extent because I'm, I'm like, all right, maybe it's this <laughs> that we might see this yeah. kind of appear right in front of us, you know, so it's
0: cool. You mentioned uh, one of the seasons of Death Walker was uh, to see if you could be physically touched, harmed, you know, that sort of thing. Tell us some of the things that happened uh, from that.
1: I was actually scratched at a location called the Sally House. Um, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah.
0: We've done an episode on the Sally has- House oh here on God. Talk of Jericho. So, so tell us more about
1: that. I don't know if you had an experience or what happened to you, but I mean, to me, I've been wanting to go there since 2004. That's really what sparked my interest to roll off and start looking for ghosts. They
0: call it the most haunted house in America.
1: I believe it is. I slept there for um, two days by myself, which was really freaky. Honestly, it was probably the hardest place to sleep. I don't know why. It just it messed with my mind. I was having weird dreams. But I was calling it out, you know, I was calling out. I wanted to see this happen. And um, my cousin was filming me before it happened. A door kind of shuts in that room upstairs. He's filming me and I'm like, my back is burning. And all of a sudden he lifts up my, my shirt on my back. And he's like, I don't really see anything. And basically, he keeps filming. And as he's filming, you just see this scratch just slowly show up on my, on my back. Jeez. And he didn't cut. Like, you can see it. Like, it's raw. And it's right there. And that freaked me out because <laughs> I've never really been scratched in the sense all my years of doing this. It was so bizarre to me. And it actually just happened to me recently. I've only been, like, scratched twice in my life, really. Uh-huh. That was one of them sally house and then recently i was investigating another location i did for death walker called the iron island museum in buffalo new york it's um very historical now a museum and they have all this like artifacts and stuff like that they've been collecting for uh decades we were filming and i we collabed my wife and i we started our youtube channel called the groff adventures (laughs) and so we have a youtube channel now groff adventures where tessa she's a medium and myself we go up and we look for haunted locations And we teamed up with a couple of YouTubers and we took them to this location and I got scratched on my back. The other kid, Josh, exploring with Josh got scratched on his back. All the cameras were rolling straight up. My wife got um, scratched on her face when we were filming her. You saw it show up. It was nuts. And all of us were having these feelings. There was multiple people there witnessing it. One kid was a skeptic. He was holding the camera. He's like, what the hell is going on? He didn't even understand it. So it was interesting.
0: Well, I mean, that's absolutely insane that you can actually see these scratches appear, you know, as they're happening. Yeah, I don't even know if it's probably
1: the most asked question ever. Get. How do you explain that? I don't know. Um, honestly, I don't. It's it just feels like there's warmth on your back, like you get a really bad suntan, you know, and it feels like it's kind of burning all of a sudden, and you just start like kind of. It's weird. And then the, it feels like a hyper focused suntan that's like burning you right in that specific spot. And you don't feel really understand it. And then all of a sudden you go to look and you see it just kind of like form sometimes, or it's already there. I don't know. It, it's strange. How do you explain it? I think basically you just got to experience it. If it happens, honestly, it's like if I took you to that location and all of a sudden you start telling me that's what's happening to you. And then I, I film it straight up and you, I show you the picture of it or whatever. I don't know. It's like one of those things where you have to go to experience it. Because I was so intrigued by that notion too, can something actually physically harm you until it started happening to me? And then now I'm like, okay, what is this then? I, <laughs> yeah. like, now I want to know more. It's kind of weird and scary in the moment. Like Sully House creeped me out because the energy was very off. Right. Sure. You know, it was all sure. filtered. It was more negative. I think it's the negative energy that gets under my skin more so. But when it's happening, you know, I look at it as, oh, it could be this pissed off like old man that died, you know. And there is a story of that grumpy old man who's there haunts. And we were on the phone with the owner too at the same time confirming everything. (laughs) We didn't even have any clue. And my wife's like uh, giving insight on all these things. And she's like, no, there's a man standing there. And she's talking about, we didn't even know specifically about some stuff. She's pulling that up through her mind, her insight. It's happening to us. The owner's on the phone with this other guy. Uh, Dan Class, who I know really well, and he's confirming. He's like, "Yeah, that's what she said. That's what that is historically." So it's like, it was crazy, <laughs> but I think that's what the fun part about this is: is you know, you explore the unknown. But sometimes I think <laughs> when you get marked in a sense, I guess you can claim it. It intrigues you even more. It's like riding a roller coaster that you don't want to go down because it's like so scary. You know, like you're gonna throw up or you're gonna get sick on it or whatever when it's spinning. But then you're like, man that was such a rush. I, I want Why is my body reacting to that? It's kind of like the similar way. I, I guess I look at it as an adrenaline junkie, but I'm just intrigued in how can something like that reach out from beyond and do what it does. Um, that I don't fully understand yet. Well, and it's like you
0: said, I've had those types of feelings when you go to a place that has you know a lot of activity and I've talked about it on the show many times before once actually in the bayous of Louisiana, And once at the Anderson Hotel just in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, and even at Alcatraz. I was just there uh, last week. And you go to the areas that are supposedly haunted. You can feel like a heaviness and a weight there. It's, you know, like you mentioned, trying to sleep in the Anderson hotel was like, yeah, let's just see. I'm not doing it, man. Because after about, a, we, we actually did a podcast from the hotel and it, there's no power, it's dark. And after about an hour and a half of being there, I was like, I need to get out of here. Like, I'm done. Like, I don't like this feeling. Mm-hmm. So for people that, that, that are listening, that might not think that this is like an actual deal, it really is. You do feel a very feral almost vibe where you're like, I have to escape from this area. At least that's the way it was for me.
1: Yeah, I I slept at Anderson Hotel for three days. It was horrible. No
0: kidding. So tell
1: me what you what you well, let's add to that then. What, what did you see? You said it was horrible. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. Yeah, it was. Uh, when it was pretty bad shape actually. I don't know if they cleaned it up. I haven't been there since. No,
0: it's still it's a dump. It's terrible. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> I haven't been there since, but I know my good friend Jeff Waldridge and stuff like that. Yeah, uh,
0: Jeff Jeff took me through. He actually, I think Jeff actually connected us. To be honest with you. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's awesome. So, yeah, I I did the Anderson Hotel for Lockdown on an episode. Uh, We were one of the first people to get in there and they had the bloody mattress. The suicide mattress where a lot. It's, you know, horrible tragedies. It's really sad. The energy is so oppressive when you walk in that place. It's disgusting. I swear to God, whoever developed, whoever like designed that location was horrible at feng shui because (laughs) it's just claustrophobic and clouded with just negative, dark Energy yeah. is the best way to put it. And I, I tell everyone this. It's like, look, you don't have to believe in paranormal, you don't have to believe in anything. It's your life. But what you can believe in that's a fact is energy. Yeah. Energy yeah. is a real thing. You cannot deny that. We produce energy, like I say, kinetic energy. So there's positive and negative energy in our world, right? We as human beings can be positive or negative energy. When positive and negative people die, that energy does linger. I don't care if you don't believe in spirits, but I'm telling you, there's something about the consciousness attached to this energy that still lingers where you can feel it absorbed into the location, releasing, and that's what I felt at Anderson Hotel, multiple locations I've been to. I mean, Anderson Hotel was just a, disturbing visual anxiety driven depressive location you know just with the amount of mentality torment behind the people and the individuals that lived and died there and i think it still holds on to that as a location especially with objects and stuff like that that are soaked in the dna of blood of people yeah i remember laying on that bed Or you laid on the bloody bed i laid on it but i put a plastic uh sheet down first over it still yeah but I put a brain monitoring system on me, and I actually was data logging my brain waves while I slept on the bed. And I wanted to see if anything disrupted my mind. And I had recorders laid out, and I had cameras on me. And I wanted to see when I would drift into a vulnerable state. Because the vulnerable state is when you're sleeping, you know? And that's when I think you have, like, this weird connection or this spiritual connection outside of your body where you kind of pick up on things, you know, as far as what equipment sometimes can't get. But the equipment's there to validate. So my recorder that I just left rolling on the um, dresser or whatever it was next to me, afterwards, we're, we're listening back and we're hearing this couple arguing. It should just be white noise. This couple was arguing, like yelling at each other on the recorder. Wow. Then there were screams. Then there was like voices coming through that were angry. It was so freaky. And my brain waves were monitoring uh spiking in certain things when I was talking about this kind of weird visual that I had. So it just kind of validated like my personal experience, you know, and what I felt. And it was just really negative. I had to leave that location after three days and I felt like I took like five showers. Just interesting. Getting all that dirty, yucky, like dark cloud that kind of hovers over you after a while. It just feels dirty, you know?
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you felt that way. And I'm sure you felt that way at other places too. So kind of tell us some of the um Other kind of terrifying experiences you've had just on Death Walkers alone, because you mentioned you're going into your third season, right? Fourth season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fourth season. So
0: tell us kind of some of the the highlights slash, you know, lowlights, depending what side of the coin you're on, as far as the stuff you've experienced.
1: Yeah. So I've been doing Death Walker for a while now, 40 episodes. It just got released in America. You can see it on the FilmRise app. We just released it on Tubi. So it's actually in Tubi right now, which is huge. It's like 60 million viewers a month on that. And then um, they have a deal, FilmRise has a deal with YouTube. So it goes through YouTube, Tubi, Roku channel, all the fast TV channels, you know, like uh, Vizio and so on. So you can pretty much see it anywhere in America. And the best part about it, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. You can just yeah. <laughs> yes, right. download it, watch it, uh, 40 apps. We're shooting 20 more apps right now for season four. You know, it's, it's crazy. Be- before we get into it, you're basically doing this independently then. 100% independently. That's amazing you know, we license our deals to the network that we're working with. FilmRise is awesome. They're great. They've been great supporters and they have a great workforce of how to spread out their NPR campaign. This and what we've been doing is because, you know, I've been doing this a long time. My brand is really big now. And basically what we're trying to do is independently go out there because I don't want it to be tarnished, you know, like, When you're working with commission projects, there's a difference with commission project and independently doing this. Commission projects are something that a network develops with you. And then it goes through like a a gazillion notes to leverage. And then they have bump outs, commercials, and so on. It's cable networks. Times have changed now. A lot of things are streaming. A lot of people are doing stuff independently. And you can. Like we took the YouTube route. So we can do YouTube on our YouTube channel with Groff Adventures. And then we can do Deathwalker. And we can uh, deliver that to FilmRise and they can outsource it. And we deliver it to the United Kingdom, too. So people in the United Kingdom can see it, too. It's streaming on Discovery Plus in the United Kingdom and the Really Channel. It's doing excellent over there. And we're getting ready. You know, we're talking to different countries to go pretty much everywhere. So it's really exciting. But some of the scariest places, I mean, Sally House was one of them. Iron Island Museum, it was weird because I went there for Deathwalker. It was weird, but it, it really wasn't that bad. When you watch that, it's crazy. Like We went there for that for a couple of days. You can see it on Deathwalker. And then we went back there recently. It was just bonkers. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of locations that have rattled me. Um, I did a location. Where was it? it? It was called Broken Bow Asylum. And we captured a shadow figure on camera raw. And this is when we were filming. We had no clue about it. Right. Until we watched the B-roll footage of just my cousin would just follow me walking around this decrepit asylum. And you could see this figure in the distance at the doorway just go woof, and move behind the doorway. We had that analyzed by a video professional, too. Um, but that was during broad daylight. So we investigate during the day, during the night. We go around the clock. It's just different. It's really how paranormal investigation should be. And I love it because independently, we keep the cuts in. We're not like... um crazily like hard cutting to anything like as far as narratives or bump outs commercials or anything like that. So it just, it just goes mm-hmm. and it is what it is. And we do our thing and then we just deliver it. And that's what I, what I love about it, you know?
0: So what, when, is there certain areas that I guess, where do you find the, the, the topics to go to after, you know, four seasons? I mean, how many places are there? Is it just in America? Is
1: it worldwide? How do you find out where you're supposed to go to? It's worldwide. So it's amazing how many haunted locations actually there are. In Western New York, I mean, look at the Civil War, look at the Revolutionary War, look at the Native American War. I mean, look at the tragedies, the bootleg and the mafia. That's just Western New York over here. You right. know? So you can think about the historical just imprint that is left behind with bloodshed uh, right here in Niagara Falls. Just alone, look at Niagara Falls. There's, they say about 5,000 bodies just buried in the rocks of Niagara Falls that have never been found. 5,000 bodies, they claim. Oh, my gosh. And that's just people jumping, going off, whatever, and they're just stuck in the rocks because they can't get down there and do anything and re- recover the bodies. So you just look at that. Look at the energy, the ions producing. So we have a plethora. like, there's tons of locations uh, that we can get into and unique access so it's just getting familiar with the owners, getting familiar with people who are in charge of owning the locations, managers, and really them believing in us to portray the location properly and, and factually rather than stretching the narrative. Right. So we do a really good job with research. Uh, my cousin, Justin, he's incredible at research. He's been working with me since we were little kids on um, haunted locations. He's one of them that found like mostly all the haunted locations you see me do. So we have a a laundry list of locations we want to get into locations. We've been waiting for years. Uh, There's locations that pop up that would surprise you. Like, just like look at the Western block, you know, like you would never know driving by it. You think it's a historical building. No one really knows about it. The first floor turned into an art center and then upstairs is abandoned, decrepit and a lot of stuff happened. But like, that's a location you wouldn't know. You drive through Lockport, you're like, wow, this is a historical town. But every building has some sort of story attached to it. It's kind of cool. That's why we are able to keep doing what we're doing.
0: So we, we talked about the Anderson, which which I know about. We talked about the Sally House, which you know about. Tell us some more of the really haunted locations you've been to. You
1: know what I would love to get into? And if I ever do, you should definitely come with me. would be the Linda Vista Hospital in East L.A.
0: Linda Vista Hospital in East L.A. Yeah.
1: If you have any connections or ties to that, please give me <laughs> in. Because... That location really compelled me to search harder into the paranormal. That was a location in 2000, and I think it was nine, that I was there and I saw a lady spirit. Uh, I call her Lady Spirit because I don't know what else to call her, but yeah. she was two feet in front of my face. I, I turned around, there was no one standing there in the dark. It was 5 a.m. I was rolling my recorder, young kid, 29. And I turn around and I see her just standing there it scared the shit out of me like the recorder flies on my hand and i screamed you know like i thought it was a homeless person that broke in that's how surreal it was no joke oh, wow but she had like this white face i could see her short brown hair and it's like she was reaching out at me like we made eye contact i saw her she saw me now what's creepy part about this is she had on this hospital gown it looked like with little flower patterns oh my gosh now here's the crazy part i experienced that it happened I had a sketch artist draw the image of what I saw, and I put it up on um, my social media back then, and there was a nurse who used to work there in the 80s, I guess. I guess she saw my image or whatever was following me, and she's like, oh my gosh, I saw you went to that hospital. That person who I saw, she's like, I've seen her too. Doctors who used to work there would see her. It was in the trauma center room where people would die. And she said that this girl would just pop up when they were operating on people. And then she would, they would say, hey, you can't be in here. And she would just disappear, even when it was an operation. Jeez. That's how rad it is. And I, I even went the distance. I wanted to go to the coroner's office in LA. By the way, that's creepy. <laughs> if you ever get a chance to go to the coroner's office. <laughs> just in general, it's creepy. But was it haunted as well? No, it's, uh, well, I, I don't know if it's haunted, but I mean, talk about talking to a coroner because I went there, we were talking to the people at the Linda Vista hospital. I went to the coroner's office in LA to try to figure out who this Jane Doe was because no one knew who she was. So maybe the coroner would know on record of some sort of Jane Doe in that area. I found out that there was a girl who actually got hit by a car in front of that hospital and was brought in there and there was an organ donor gone wrong. So the story goes, but I can't back it up with facts. So it kind of becomes a Jane Doe of this experience, right? So the coroner would talk to about all, several of the Jane Doe's and stuff like that has happened. That's why one of the main reasons that hospital got shut down, I think. So the coroner, he's talking to me, he hits this metal button on the wall and the wall opens up and there's 300 dead bodies just staying right or laying right in front of me. Oh my gosh. And I had to walk in and the smell, I've never I've seen people die in front of me. Um, I've seen tragedy. I've seen someone have a heart attack and die right in front of me. I've seen someone get in a car crash right next to me and their car rolls over and helping the guy, trying to bring him back to life and blood coming out of him. And he died. Oh I, I've seen a lot of stuff, man, in my life. But it's, it's weird when you walk through a room where bodies are put of Jane and John Doe's, you know, no names. They're just no-name people. Like one guy was laying on a slab, half covered, naked. They're all, you know, they're all naked. They're all dead. Bullet holes all in them. One guy knives to death over here. One guy hanging people, natural causes. People don't even know who some of these people are. They sit there for months to a year just there because no one claims them. It's wild. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But the smell is like, I smell like yesterday, you know, and this was a decade ago or so. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's And it, it makes, you know what that moment made me think? appreciate is my life. It made me appreciate what I have in front of me. It made me appreciate the simple things in life, the compassion, the love, my family. Uh, It made me realize how quickly your life can be taken from you or it can disappear with an instant. And that's really what I took away from that. And I think that's why my quest has been so um, uplifting because it makes you wonder, like, just do good things in life, no matter what your beliefs or what you are, what it's going to become. of. just do good things because, like that energy continues. And that energy can be resonated and remembered forever. You know,
0: it's weird. Yeah, I man. I mean, you said some pretty deep stuff there. I was just thinking, like through all the things that I've done and seen, I've never, and thank goodness, never had somebody die in my presence. Is I mean, obviously, not to get too far into the weeds on that, but is there? Do you, is there a certain feeling that you have, like you did, like when you feel this?
1: Anderson Hotel, like, what did you feel when that happens? Anderson Hotel was just a weird energy. To me, it was another location with a lot of tragic events that have happened. I've been to some of the most sinister places in the world that would blow your mind of, like, brutal things that have happened. It just, just makes me realize how awful human beings can be to each other, honestly. Sure, but, but what I'm asking you is, like, when you, I'm seeing that feeling and that vibe, it,
0: it, what's the feeling you get when somebody actually leaves this mortal coil in front of you? Oh, when they
1: pass away? Yeah. So here's a story for you. So my cousin, Justin and I, we're coming home, right? Late at night, uh, midnight. We're driving on the highway in New Hampshire. My cousin was getting married and we're driving home in an Uber cab. In this car, there's no one on the highway. It's a big highway, but it's kind of dark, right? Three lanes, four lanes, something like that. And we go through Massachusetts out of Boston into New Hampshire, driving on the road. All of a sudden, I see this car whip by us. And I was like, whoa. And I look in front of us and I see the car just go, woof, boom, hit the railings and just start flipping over in the middle of the road. And the Uber driver is like, oh, crap, you know. So we slow down as we get closer to this car and we go by and I look out my window. And as I look out my window, I see this man just laying on the ground. And I was like, oh, my God, stop. I, I forced the Uber driver to stop the car. like He was like kind of just driving through all the chaos of what happened. And he pulls over, and my cousin and I get out because, you know, we see a person and her, we're going to try to rescue them or help the best we can. So my cousin and I run to this guy, and we see the guy near the car, and I had no clue there was, other, there was two other kids in the car, like I'm saying teenagers under 18. The one guy, I think, was like 19 or 20, 21 maybe. The other one was like 18 and 17. Boyfriend, girlfriend got thrown out of the car that way. One guy, I had no clue, went over the railing, and there's like all rocks off the ledge of the highway, there's like an old restaurant there, got thrown out of the car off the railing down to the rocks off the bottom of the highway. This guy was over here. We saw that guy first, went to him. And then the girl was off to the side of the road near the medium. And this guy sees us and there was another guy who stopped. And thank God he was part of, I guess he just got off his work shift. He was an ER. He works in the ER as a nurse or something like that doctor or something he was working on that girl because she was in really bad shape he runs over to us and he sees us and he looks at the guy he's like you work on him i'm going to her i think he realized i'll have better luck saving that girl's life this guy's pretty screwed right now right so i knew my cousin was way better at cpr than i was so i told him to start doing that and i was talking to the guy and the guy was kind of like he was dying slowly honestly and i'm looking at him I'm scared because what's happening is we're in the middle of the highway and I'm worried about cars coming right at us and slamming us. So I'm trying to like wave the cars as they come at us to push him to the side. And I'm looking at this kid and my cousin's, you know, pumping his chest and it it was the weirdest thing in the world, man, because I get goosebumps talking about it. Sure. What happened was, is I'm I'm yelling at the kid, wake up, man, wake up, pull through, stay with us. My cousin's pumping on him. my cousin. It really affected my cousin for a while because he was like touching him and and trying to bring him back life. My cousin did get him to come back to life and cough up blood. You have to stop when that happens because we we fear that the lungs get filled up with blood and fluid and stuff. So you kind of have to stop at a point. Yeah. But what's strange is this. No one was around me. The other guy was over there. I saw him. No one was near us yet. Cars weren't coming yet in the dark. Not joking. I looked to my right and there's a guy standing right next to me. And I, I didn't even hear him coming. I don't even know how he got there. And looking at the kid, it looked just like him.
0: Oh, my gosh. I,
1: I mean, the kid was, like, messed up. But I swear it was him standing next to me. And it's, like, it met, it chokes me up. You know what I mean? Because the kid died. Yeah. It was strange because he just, like, I don't know. He just, like, disappeared when I looked away and looked back at the kid. And then all of a sudden, Justin brought him back to life. And we we'll are looking at him. And then just blood just starts coming out of his head onto the pavement kid who stood next to me disappeared you know and so that was probably his spirit then i think so i believe so but that's the closest to seeing someone pass away and and having an experience next to that person on a traumatic event of that i'll never forget it but that made me believe that this ain't it this reality that we're living in is just a quest it's just a stepping stone for knowledge, information, for us to evolve as energy, as whatever we become after that, whatever our perception is. We all have different beliefs, but I think collectively we're all humanized in these bodies to go on that journey, to evolve. And maybe if we don't get it right, we have to ke- come back and do it all over again, which I believe I've had past lives and stuff like that. But that's a different story. I just, yeah, yeah you know, it, yeah. Was, it was a weird experience. Um, the ambulance came way later. We eventually everything gets cleaned up. The ambulance comes. That guy brought that girl back to life. The, the other kid who got thrown off the side of the road, he comes up. He has a hole in the side of his head. He's bleeding. He's like, my girlfriend's dying. It was it was crazy. Terrible. Yeah. He saved their life, though. That guy saved their, that girl's life. That kid was messed up. But we didn't know what happened. Like we didn't get the official death because we didn't necessarily know the scope of like that kid. When we stepped away, the ambulance guy came in. I was directing traffic after the fact, after my experience, we got home. I was looking on the internet. I was looking at the news. I was looking every day. Helico- and then we found it, the mortuary. A couple of days later, we found a helicopter, transported him to one place, transported the other girl. He died. They claim it like on the way to the hospital, however they claim it, you know, but I, I knew he passed away right there and it, it, it sucks, man. But just having that experience, I think, my, cu- my cousin's more like a logical thinker, and even he was like, he was having experiences two weeks after that. He was living with me at the time in my basement. Uh, we were filming a lot, so he was just with me. And he said every night he would have his like feet being wiggled. He's hard of hearing. He said he would hear someone whisper in his ear. It's like that spirit, that energy followed us home. Right. from touching him and, and saving him and he kept like doing stuff to my cousin like at night i he thinks that's what it was and he's super logical you know he's more iq smart <laughs> and it's like i gotta be there to see it but that that's a real thing that really happened sad story but it makes you think about life
0: so we start to um to wind down here uh what are some of the
1: highlights for season four that stood out for you I'm loving it because, um, we go into a couple of locations coming up that, uh, energetically actually startled my wife. I brought my, my wife Tessa in, it startled her, it startled me and it startled my cousin. We all had this, um, feeling of something grabbing onto our spine when collectively we didn't know it was happening to each one of us, but it felt like it was grabbing on our spine, no marks or anything like that, but it felt like it was trying to channel through our body or energetically connect with our spine because the spine is the key part of, you know, the whole body with the nervous system and everything like that. So, and that's what I believe spirits try to uh, go for the back. You'll see a lot of people kind of put their backs to the wall when you feel weird. There's a location coming up in season four that really startled us and um, we got some really good evidence there. Do you
0: think like, is it a conduit? Do you feel that you have that sort of, I mean, not, 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 not everybody is drawn to be a part of this, other worlds is it something that you feel is kind of inside of you
1: i do yeah just going back like i was saying my childhood you know near-death experience my wife almost died when she was four years old she was in the hospital for uh, weeks and that's when she started having the experiences and that's when she started having seen spirit talking to spirit and ever since she's child she learned to hone it in as a medium and now she's like incredible so i think children definitely have that sense we all have that sense it's just a matter of how we how we open ourselves up i think it is like a lighthouse in the dark where things get attracted to certain people that are more open or have skated on thin ice have crossed over a little bit mm. i think it's just part of our dna and i can't escape it it is our life my wife and i it's, we live in a haunted house <laughs>
0: of course you do
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're like the real life adams family you know we have five kids a uh, new baby luciano uh, two girls three boys My wife's a medium. I'm in a paranormal investigator. It's the weirdest combination (laughs) in the world. But we love each other. We're happy, but it's strange. Our house is haunted. We have haunted objects and stuff like doors are opening all the time. Kids are getting scared, waking up, seeing shadow figures, apparitions, stuff like that. But everything is, it's not negative. You know what I mean? It's just a little scary for the kids sometimes, but they're understanding it. The kids have intuitive sense. It's just a part of our life. And it's something that we'll probably end up be doing the rest of our life. We've been doing it since we were kids. It's no escaping it at this point. It's like we're on Alcatraz, man. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you you hear
0: this quite often. I know that I mentioned before the Louisiana bio. Before I left, I had to have like a a shaman put the the ceremony with the smoke to make sure I wouldn't have anything attached to me and all that sort of thing. I mean, you never know with all the different experiences you have. That could be
1: why your house is haunted. Someone might have followed you home. Well, I do know that someone, we believe somebody passed away here, a grumpy old man. Uh. We're researching it further. And we think, my wife thinks that a, a kid, a boy, because what happened was, is my daughter sleeping up here and, um our oldest son, they keep seeing this little boy. They'll talk about it. No one knows anything about that. Just Tessa has brought this up and she thinks a little boy has died in the creek. There's a creek behind us and he drowned. So we're looking into like the land property, stuff like that. But I, I do believe that's what actually happened. That's why they're experiencing some of that stuff. But the reason why my our house gets really haunted is because I brought I brought home one of my devices that is haunted, oh, a geoport.
0: Like a haunted object.
1: Yeah, it, it really does have uh, some manifestation of this energy and stuff. So whenever I bring it home, the kids are like, did you bring that geo home? Because I had this shadow man in my room. <laughs> so it's like a thing now. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> so I, I, I keep it out of the house. But it, when it's out of the house, it's all right. You can contain it. But.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Last question for you, Nick. All the shows and all the places you've been, what's the scariest moment you've ever experienced with your uh, investigations?
1: It's really difficult to scare me, but I do get really startled. I think the recent location we did for Death Walker really put us over a little bit because of the energy. There's something really was trying to attach to us, and I think that bothered me more so, just that negative energy. I'm pretty good about closing the door and walking away and another investigation. But um the upcoming location for Death Walker Starless and you know, the location we just did on our um our YouTube that I'm putting up on YouTube, the Iron Island Museum, that that place really twisted us up, you know, the scratch and stuff across my wife's face, my back, other kid. Right. So I think those recent locations have intrigued me to say, I need to go back and research this more. <laughs> but it's scary in the moment sometimes because, you know, sometimes you don't see what is affecting you. And I think that's what bothers you. It just takes a type of mentality to kind of push through. Because what are we going to do? We're looking for it. What, what's the point of running away? We're looking for it. So that's the idea. That's
0: what you, that's what you signed up for. Exactly well it's great talking to you man finally after all these years and uh looking forward to seeing the next season of death walker and next time you do have something uh coming up let me know and we'll we'll get you back on awesome man i really appreciate it thank you so much nice talking to you man thank you you too take care